As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello, I'm Anna Davis and as always, I'm happy to welcome you to the On Farm podcast. This week is the final of five episodes we've created with SAOS, Scotland's pharma co-op experts, each one looking at a different aspect of the fight against climate change. We've looked at the targets, we've talked about supply chains, we've heard about the unique challenges that weather changes bring, and today we're talking about leadership. How can effective leadership encourage everybody with a stake in rural sustainability to engage with the fight against climate change? Let's find out from some of the experts. So my name is Jim Booth. I'm head of co-op development at SOS. And very simply, my role is to encourage farmers to work together to cooperate and also to, uh, to encourage or to support our farm co-ops to grow and to reach their full potential. Thank you, Jim. Uh, Mark, if you don't mind going next. I'm uh, the sustainability director for First Milk, which is a dairy farmers cooperative with 700 members based throughout GB. Thank you very much. Tim? Tim Wilson, uh, CEO of Aspatria Farmers, which is based in North Cumbria. We're a farmer-owned business, 150 years in existence, so one of the first agricultural, in fact, the first agricultural co-op. And our business is very focused around dairy, then beef and sheep farmers and some mixed farms. We're a supply co-op into, uh, into our members offering uh, products and then products are back, uh, backed up by advice. Great. Thank you very much. Mark, I'm in my little study here with a bit of soundproofing behind me, but it sounds like you're somewhere much more interesting than that. Where, where are you just now? Well, I'm actually I'm on my farm in South Devon, so I'm beside Slapton Lay Nature Reserve, actually, so which is where I farm. And we can hear beautiful birdsong and we can see lovely sunshine, so uh, lucky. Uh, in Scotland, it's not quite such a nice day, but that's maybe no surprise. Um Jim, I'm going to come to you first, if that's okay. This is the fifth and final episode within a series that we've been doing all about climate change. And we've talked about supply chains, we've talked about the weather, we've talked about different methods and processes um, that businesses are undertaking in order to improve what they do from a sustainability and climate change perspective. But a slightly broader question for you. The term fight against climate change is the one that's used most often, I think. Um, Why do you think it's so important that the co-op and collaborative sector really owns this fight against climate change and and takes it forward? Well, I think, first of all, I would start by saying that uh, addressing the climate challenge is probably the number one issue facing Scottish agriculture today. So that's the first thing. On top of that, I would say addressing the climate challenge is too large a challenge for an individual forum to tackle alone. 
So the only way to, to tackle it is by people working together, is to cooperate. And so for many farmers, I think they're just unsure where to start and what should they do for the best. And one of the best ways to drive change is to provide that leadership role of the co-ops, the co-op sectors, because the co-ops make things happen. They have the, the leadership, they have the management resource, they have the, the capability, the capital, and they have the roots. Importantly, they have the roots down to family farms, their members. So they have that route, that communication network as well. So it's a great opportunity for farming and a great opportunity for farm co-ops. Uh, and actually, despite the enormity of the challenge, with the last four episodes, we have seen a huge amount, or heard, I should say, a huge amount of optimism coming from the people that we've spoken to. It is a big challenge, but people really feel that by working together, they can meet that challenge. So, Mark, I'm going to come to you next, if I may, because um, speaking of the word optimism, First Milk have set themselves quite an optimistic challenge, haven't they? when it comes to reducing carbon, the carbon footprint of your members. Um, can you tell us a bit more about the details of that challenge? Yes, thanks very much, Anna. I mean, we've kind of been um, working on this for some time. We both had um, feedback from both sides of the supply chain. One would be from our customers who are looking for all of their suppliers to actually come, come out with a, uh, you know, when they're going to be net zero. Because again, it's you know leading from consumer actually you know questions, but we've also had demand from our members who've said, look, you know we, we're getting an awful lot of pressure here, and actually it's like it seems that we're the villains. Actually, it's like you know from a point of view from the farmer's point of view, and they're saying, look, you know what can we do about it? So we've conducted a lot of research in this area, and actually far from being villains, we can kind of now demonstrate that. Certainly our members can actually as be part of the climate you know, solution. As far as what we've announced is actually is like, you know, how we're going to provide tools for them to actually be able to do that. So, yes, it's, it's, it's kind of matching both ends. And I think as Jim's alluding to, it's really important, you know, we address this as you know, collectively. It isn't for one individual. And we, we're going to push this right out throughout of our business. So employees will be involved as well. It's, it's got to be across universal. So am I right in saying then your target is to reduce the carbon footprint of your members by 50% by 2030 and net zero emissions by 2040, is that right? That's correct. It's like, you know, so we're going to do that in two ways. One is by reducing emissions, actually in the first instance, but also there's a fantastic opportunity because we, we effectively is actually is like, you know, a, a predominantly a grass-based system with over two-thirds of the land actually is like is in down to permanent pasture so there's fantastic opportunities to actually is like sequester carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere it's quite an opportunity for us to be able to demonstrate that we can do that as jim hinted at you know none of your members can do that and hit that target on their own they need the leadership from you so how are you going to actually sort of uh, take forward that leadership and, and help them towards that that target well what we found has been the most successful is actually is like in the past is actually is like is learning from each member learning from each other as well so whilst we'll we'll put on workshops and actually it's like you know but we'll identify farms that are demonstrating the best practice we have over 700 members such as like you know supplying us roughly a third in Scotland a third in England a third in Wales 
those workshops will take place and actually with small groups to actually is like you know is to be able to so they can learn from other members who actually is like who are doing these things yes uh, it, it's it's got to be about breath practice i suppose and, and demonstration and getting people to really understand on a practical basis what what can be done the fantastic thing is actually is like you know i think people people look at you know carbon sequestration and they immediately look to trees but the truth be known is actually like there's more carbon stored in the soils, four times more than, than all the plants and trees put together in the world. So soils, I believe, actually represents our greatest opportunity here. And it's so secure. Once it's in the soil, it's more secure than it would be in trees, which can be chopped down or burnt, obviously. Yes, definitely something that's come up repeatedly, actually, during this series. So totally understand where you're coming from. Um, Tim, um, I don't mean to have left you out for, for the first chunk of this episode, but um, just wanted to hear there from Mark and, and his ambitious targets. Um, what about yourself? What sort of targets have you got in place? And, and I suppose, crucially, how, how do you think leadership is going to play a key role in getting your members to, to, to further embrace this, this fight, as, as we say, against climate change? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty key. Uh, advice to farmers, giving farmers a roadway or a, a, a way of uh, engaging with uh, these these countervailing forces and pressures that are coming on them is, is pretty key. Uh, there are many opportunities, as Mark said, uh, many untapped opportunities, but at the minute we've got, at, at uh, farm level, we've got farmers who are seeing um, consumer pressure obviously driving towards uh, net zero, which uh, Mark's reflecting. You've got NGOs and other influencers who are uh, gaining a lot of traction in the press that's making farmers feel a bit... Uh, uh, disenfranchised and then of course you've got it all of that has coincided with a change in terms of government support for farmers and uh, moving towards the elm system which uh, has not been uh, well communicated or the, or the advice to farmers is uh, is still a bit flaky in terms of how that's going to affect their day-to-day activity so we see the leadership has really got to come by uh, co-ops farmer-owned businesses getting together in order to make sure that farmers get the advice they need rather than the advice they can afford uh, as they need to change their businesses and develop their businesses and improve their businesses going forward. Otherwise, uh, there's going to be a massive disconnect between those who are driving policy at a top level, be it uh, retailers and processors and government and uh, and farmers actually reacting to it. Yes, and do you think that this this leadership and the demonstration shown by um, by yourself and Mark, do you think it will encourage more grassroots farmers to engage with co-ops themselves? Because effectively you're making their lives easier aren't you um by providing those examples and leadership and, and practical things like mark said work you know workshops and advice do you, do you think that's the direction things will go uh very much uh, yeah I, I feel that very much hope so um you've got to remember that a lot of the advice that goes on to farms these days is coming from a number of providers who are probably not fully trusted by the farmer um because it's been delivered by commercial businesses who probably don't have the farmer's interest at uh, the top of their priorities so for farmer farmer owned processors and farmer owned suppliers uh, providing products and advice and helping farmers adopt better better and more efficient systems um, it really needs to come from businesses where i think the farmer's got a stake in those businesses and obviously the co-op model is uh, is ideal for that i guess trust is the key word isn't it you've, you've got nobody's going to listen to any advice or follow any example if they don't trust who it's coming from and i guess that's it mark i suppose Coming in from the trust side of things, you know, that's why your members will be taking your advice, engaging with your workshops. 
enacting new um, strategies and policies on their farm. But actually, I think we need to stop here for a second because Jim's already said, you know, the farming sector has been seen as the bad guys in all of this. And some people would have you believe that we're starting from scratch here. But of course, we're not. We've got ambitious targets, but um, your members will have been doing things for many years in the fight against climate change. Um, can you maybe just give us some examples of, of what's already been done? Because I think so- sometimes we've got to stop and give people a pat on the back when they deserve it. Yeah, most definitely. And I think I think as far as we've seen it, we, we launched what we, we termed our first for milk pledge last year, which... Uh, Members were voluntarily asked to sign up to it, which is like, and which was commitment on grazing, which is like, you know, as well as, which is like, you know, sort of commitment to ensure that animals have a life worth living. Also to actually is like, you know, is building social capital, the actual, so interacting with the general public, but also together, and then also working with, uh, you know, effectively as a consumers. So making sure the farms are actually consumer ready, which is like, you know, for, you know, 24 seven. So it's really encouraging this. And what we've seen is actually is like, you know, is that is again, the, the farmers actually really enjoy actually this, this, this opportunity to be able to demonstrate the good work they're already doing. We've talked about biodiversity and I've certainly seen the instances where on farm and you say, what, what, what do you do to enhance biodiversity? And the farmer will actually say, well, actually, I don't do anything. Actually, I don't think... But then you talk to them and that's just like they don't cut the hedges every year. They've fenced off waterways, etc. Done massive things to enhance the biodiversity, but they didn't necessarily have the lingo. I believe the same is with regenerative agriculture. The principles of regenerative agriculture, I would say, are good agricultural practice. They're not the way out, actually, like things that are sometimes being portrayed as regenerative agriculture. Encouraging plant diversity efficient use and actually is like managing soil and effectively building soil are things that I would say the majority of our members already do and then there'll be a few tweaks which we can do to say well okay is actually is like make sure you keep soil covered um, the use of manure which is like you know which is a you know valuable asset on the farm is making better use of that instead of using bought in nitrogen so yeah I don't see any issue with actually like our members and we launched this to our membership last week to actually we'd have spoken to a few hundred via our member meetings. And again, 100% supportive of this initiative because it gives them the tools to be able to talk to the naysayers, talk to the people who are necessarily saying, well, OK, dairy farming's bad and you know cows have got devil's horns, etc. This is a fantastic opportunity, I believe, for our members to have something that they can talk to those people, but also be proud to talk to their families and friends of actually what they're doing to actually as like, you know, be part of the climate solution. Yes, um, I totally understand what you mean. And I think I'd maybe even add to that, that, you know, yes, it's the lingo. Sometimes farmers are, do- are doing things that they don't even almost realise that they're doing. I think also farming across the UK, farmers are quite quite modest, quite humble people they're not used to to shouting from the rooftops about the great things they do and we're really trying to kind of persuade them to to do that I suppose yeah Jim I I guess along those lines you know we're talking to Tim and Mark today and and it's fascinating but they are ultimately just two examples of many many co-ops in Scotland and far beyond who are leading this fight 
Have you got some other examples up your sleeve that you could maybe tell us about co-ops that are really driving things, who are really perhaps managing really successfully to engage their members, just really from your kind of day-to-day uh, engagement with people? Yeah, that, that's a good question. We've been working on a project this year called Co-ops and the, the Climate Challenge. And what we've been doing is scoping out co-ops to recognise what co-ops have done already. We're not starting from, you know, from base from now. What we've found in that piece of work, that research, is that, of course, each co-op is different, but they're on a journey, they're on a journey. And in, in summary, in general, the marketing co-ops are probably further down the road because, as you know, there's two drivers. It's the, the driver coming out from Scottish government in terms of the ambitious climate change targets. But the other driver, as Mark alluded to, which is actually probably the most important this now, is really coming from the market, the consumers. And so the marketing co-ops, all our marketing co-ops are already down that road. They're already addressing uh, sustainability. They're recording their sustainability, doing things to prove, provide evidence of reducing their admissions from their members and from their processes, where perhaps further back in the supply chain, the input supply co-ops are only starting this journey. So there's a big difference between the two there. But there's just loads of examples all through our co-op sectors of uh, what farmer, you know, what co-ops are doing, what farmers have done as well. Improvement in grassland management, there's been huge strides. There's a huge potential in terms of, of grass, making better use of grass. And that has been a huge improvement over the last five, ten years, making better use of clover, you know, better use of inorganic manures, farmyard manures and slurry. In the arable sector, precision farming, you know, that's been a revolution in the arable sector. So precision farming, we're working in uh, smart sensor technology as well. So technology would be part of the, the solution. And of course, farmers have been very good at uptake in, in terms of renewable energy and animal health as well. You know, lots of good work in terms of animal health. So loads of great examples across the whole industry. Certainly are. Yeah, thank you, Jim. We could probably talk for hours if we went into more detail, couldn't we? Um, Tim, I wonder if you can, I could come to you on this next question. Uh, today I've been preparing, because I'm doing a presentation this week for the Young Farmers Clubs, about how best they can engage with the media. Jim kind of reminded me then when he talks about smart technology. Now, we all assume, partly correctly, partly not, um, we all assume that it's the younger generation who are more willing to adapt smart technology because they understand it better. But, but in more general terms, how do you think we need to work with the next generation and the younger generation in this climate change fight? Do you think they are the ones who we need to learn from and rely on? Uh, undoubtedly. That's uh, always a constant challenge in farming is to make sure that uh, the next generation is, is engaged as soon as soon as possible in terms of how they're going to take the farm forward. Uh, there's no point waiting till they're in their 40s and 50s, by which time some of their um, uh, some of the current practices are probably so deeply embedded that they can't see uh, see a different way of doing it. I think a lot of it comes down to good business practice in terms of measuring things, improving and measuring again. Sadly, I think on farm there isn't enough of that. There's far, far too much. Uh, that is taken is too approximate and it isn't measured yet there are tools available to help farmers measure things what uh, i think is often missing is that the spirit is willing and the farmers are very happy to uh, embrace new, te new technology and bring it on the farm 
but what what often is lacking is then the on-farm advice to help them then manage it, implement implement new practices, and then go back and measure it again, and just make sure that they embed a culture of uh, of improvement. And uh, we're in a poor situation relative to some of our near European neighbours in terms of the amount of either free or government-funded advice which is available to farmers. And we see that repeatedly. Great enthusiasm for the concept, but it's the actual putting into practice and demonstrating that it's making a material difference to their farm, which is uh, where we're a bit lacking. You've touched there on effectively one of the barriers to making this happen. Mark, from your perspective, what are the key barriers that co-ops need to help farmers get through in order to be able to meet these tough targets? Yeah, I, it's, it's around communicating, actually, as like, you know, clear guidance and actually messages what we need to do, but also the reasons why we need to do it. We've been trailing the, the need for climate change with articles from customers you know, for some time just to demonstrate the need that we're going to have to act in this area well before we actually get out there. And then it's really as actually assisting, assisting members actually like in being able to deliver it. Something just picking up on the point you made there about the next generation. We have over 200 you know, members of a next generation group which are, is hugely important. And it's not that they're any different. There's clearly from the same businesses, but they are going to be the powerhouse to deliver this. We're talking about a, a ambitions here that go to 2040. In all fairness, they will actually, they will be the successes who will be delivering this. So we've got a very successful women in agriculture group now as well formed, which is, is all about using the latest technology to communicate actually again it's just getting the message across universally so the barrier i would say is an understanding necessarily but it's something we can easily overcome yes yeah and, and that's it i think you've gone back to the optimism again which i think is great that yes there are barriers but they can they can be overcome jim from your perspective what 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 other obstacles lie in our way that that we need to work together to to overcome well, I think some of the barriers at farm level, I just think farmers are very time constrained now. So there's an issue about time, there's an issue about complexity, you know, this education, you know, where do I start? Where do I start as well? And, you know, how do I finance it? And I think that's, that really exploits the, the benefits of cooperation is by people working together, having a common purpose, you know, where the, the member is the owner as well. So it really builds into the the benefits of cooperation to alleviate some of these barriers. But in terms of what do we need to be done, you know, I'm under, uh, you know, I'm very clear about that. And I think the biggest factor to drive change will be having a sympathetic government policy, a government policy that's, it's, doesn't just say it supports farmers working together, cooperation, but actually delivers on that. I don't think to date that Scottish government has been ambitious enough in terms of driving cooperation. So I'd like, like to see more done in that real policy drivers to drive uh, cooperation, to really stimulate, you know, to encourage farmers to work together and to cooperate, to really exploit the advantages, the natural advantages, which are well proven. You know, they're well proven. Um. Mark, you've got a really ambitious target and obviously your members work very well together. But what about cooperation between cooperatives? You know, you and Tim, for example, and others, um, what are you all learning from each other as well as from your members? Part of a successful rollout for us will be working with our 
fellow cooperatives where Tim will have people that would talk to our members and other cooperatives as well and many other organisations I shouldn't just say it's cooperatives it's the message we're putting across and it's actually principles as much as anything yeah the more we can do together the better Anna Anna I just wanted to uh, just interrupt there to talk really about strategic at a strategical level because I, I think it's Scotland can't compete internationally you know producing commodities so we have to think differently. We have to differentiate ourselves and we have to look to add value through premiumisation. And I think in having climate-friendly production is part of that proposition. So I think there's a great opportunity here for Scotland, you know, Scottish Agriculture PL, PLC. And there's that delicate balance to be achieved between reducing emissions and improving our, our environmental sustainability whilst at the same time maintaining productivity. You know, we've got to guard against production levels falling, so we're more reliant on food imports, which is simply offshoring our emissions, you know, somewhere else in the world. I also wanted to just add, we don't need every farm business to achieve net zero emissions. That would be really inefficient, and that would lead to a loss of productivity. It's net zero across the whole industry. So that varies with the farm, the farm situation, their land use capability and their own ambition and what they want to do. So you can imagine an upland farm where they have lots of opportunities. They perhaps will do more in terms of, of tree planting and peatland rest- restoration and maintaining, you know, permanent grass. While in the East Coast and productive land, you know, we really need to ensure that is maintained. Yes, and, and you touched on there a topic that's really always close to my heart, which is almost about expectation. You know, that there is that expectation on the farming sector. Consumers are looking for production methods that are taking into account um, not just the, the more traditional things like animal welfare, but now consumers want products that are also proven to, to be working in the fight against climate change. And I think that's critical because with the advent of social media, consumers have got so much more influence and so much more say in what they choose. And we've all got, got to be listening effectively. Um, Mark, you'll have uh, a, f- a fair amount of engagement, uh, particularly on social media, I imagine, with, with consumers. Do you find that questions are becoming more frequent with regard to production methods and, and having to justify what you're doing? Absolutely, Anna. I mean, as far as it's not just the actual um, you know, UK customers we have. This is from across the world. So we would export to over 26 countries. There is as many questions coming from the Middle East, that is like, you know, in fur- you know, further afield of actually overproduction standards. Over 70, it's 74% of the consumers are concerned about climate change. So it actually backs up previous research. But also 76% would sooner purchase milk from or dairy products from farmers that graze. It's just like, you know, again, it's something that's hugely important. And if you look at the difference in the in the generations, so the, the attitudes of various age groups we need to future-proof our industry we do need to be so much consumer-led i believe yes totally agree yes uh tim you mentioned as well obviously that that it's it's all about communication so what are your thoughts on the ways in which we communicate with our, our ultimate customers the most important thing to start with is being joined up so that's uh, pretty key the likes of myself and mark should be 
coordinating that and and other co-opted uh, in in that supply chain. And then this this bit horizontally, we need to make sure that my co-op in North Cumber is giving the same messages as somebody in Southwest Scotland because we are really only as strong as our weakest link. It's very important that we raise raise the efficiency and uh, methodologies on farms right across the country. We want to make sure that uh, the consumer is looking on British British produce, be it dairy, dairy pig, or uh, or arable arable outputs, as uh, the thing to go for because it is produced to high standards. It is produced as efficiently as it as it can be. And uh, I think, as uh, Jim was saying, we stand we stand very good comparison with most other suppliers of most products in the world. I would think, uh, but also generally the adherence with best practice and the adherence with uh, with standards when it comes to animal welfare or human health issues is uh, is pretty high. And I think we need to make the most of that and turn what some farmers perceive as an existential threat into an opportunity. Yes, and and in fact, you know, we wouldn't be talking to each other for the podcast today if it wasn't for the fact that that we believe these positive messages need to get out there um, to a wider audience and, and we need to use all of the channels at our disposal to, to be able to do that. That's why the podcast exists. Um, Jim, good leadership is about taking people with you on your journey, isn't it, really? So if there's anybody listening, say they're a farmer, but they're not currently involved with, with any kind of cooperative work or, or a member of any co-op, what would your message be to them about why you think they should join this journey? I think that probably the biggest challenge for an individual farm business is they're very fragmented. They're micro businesses in a supply chain. Increasingly, everything is driven by supply chains and it must be market led. But in a supply chain, it's becoming increasingly concentrated. And so it's really, it's about power and influence. So by joining a co-op, it allows you to be part of something economies of scale and have a you know have some influence in your in your supply chain. Admittedly, we'd, we're not going to match the power of the the major multiples, but you have some some scale and you have some influence. The other thing, it's a great route to manage risk and volatility is one of the biggest challenges for a farm business, and it's a great route to manage risk and volatility and to build resilience. You know, build resilience and protect family farms. Because some people think that uh, they don't want to cooperate because they feel they're losing their independence. But that's, it's absolutely opposite of that, that by cooperating, it protects your farm and allows you to have a, a, a viable business for the future and to pass it on to your next generation as well. For me, it's a no-brainer. I don't understand why anybody wouldn't cooperate. It's as simple as people working together. It's as simple as that, people working together. And it can be informal neighbouring, informal cooperation, neighbouring right through to being part of a, a, a co-op, a co-op member. The other thing to say about the co-ops, I think it's really important, unless you're part of that co-op culture, is co-ops are driven by values and principles. And we talk about it and we understand it in the co-op sector, but it's not part of our culture. It's not taught at universities or schools or, you know, it's not part of the, the normal dialogue. And that principles of cooperation, the values are really, really important. And I think it was... Uh, it was uh, Tim it, or someone said about uh, co-ops are all about people. It's all about communities and it's about people. And that's really important. 
Yes, a, a great answer, Jim. I think I think you've pretty much summed it up. But but I would like to ask the same question to Mark and Tim. Actually, Tim, just picking on you, if you might like to go first. Yeah, how do we take more people with us on this journey? Well, two words: trust and leadership. I think farmers are looking for leadership in these areas because they're entering uh, a period of time where there's uh, lots of countervailing forces, and I think we should absolutely see that as a key a key driver. And the other one is uh, is trust. You've used the word earlier, but uh, making sure we establish businesses with the expertise that they can trust to give them the best possible advice on how to imp- how to deal with the issues that are facing their businesses. If we do that, then I think it is a no-brainer. People will naturally gravitate towards the co-op model because that's where they both get leadership and trust. But we've got to make sure that we're in a position where we've got the the funding to bring those people into the business who can uh, who can demonstrate that's the farmer? Because in most cases, it comes yeah. doesn't come down to the written word. It comes down to a conversation with somebody who who uh, actually delivers value for you. Yes, uh, Mark, two pretty comprehensive answers there. But um, if you've got anything to to add to that, I, mean, I think as far as we need to demonstrate success, it's nothing better than it's if you've got people going out and actually talking about their pride in belonging to a cooperative and actually what the cooperative is doing for them for that to take place they've got to actually have pride in it and actually feel part of it so this actual sense of belonging hugely important and they go out as ambassadors you know encourage others to actually just do the same the, the phrase i would use is, is co-ops make things happen anna cooperation will fast track that change the change that's needed to transform scottish agriculture definitely so final question then for you all, if you don't mind. Um, I'm not going to be cruel and ask you to predict exactly what's going to be happening in 2045, but perhaps if we can just jump ahead nine years and imagine that the four of us are recording a podcast in 2030, what do you think we will be saying in 2030 when we're talking about this topic? <laughs> um, I'd like to think we'll be saying that uh, we've seen 10 years of farmers really embracing change improving the businesses in terms of efficiency because uh, that's the key measure to uh, or that's the key thing that's required in order to uh, to reduce their impact on the climate i would like to think that consumers are far more in tune with uh, the good things that farmers do rather than the bad things they're doing quite how how fast we're going to achieve that is uh, whether 10 years is enough of a time scale i would uh, fear in all these things and looking at agriculture in the last uh, uh, the last 50 years, that uh, the pace of change is probably never as fast as we'd like it to be. Mark, what will you be saying to me in ten years, in nine years' time, do you think? That, um, that first milk farmers are uh, well ahead of their target to have you know, reduced by 50%. I think the other thing as well is I'd, what I'd like to actually is that you'd be, be seeing is that more people are actually like members of cooperatives and actually is like, you know, taking an active part. More and more people are actually seeing that, you know, we can be part of the climate change solution. Thank you, yes. Jim, finally. The first thing I would say, we shouldn't underestimate the scale of the challenge. You know, the Scottish Government's climate change plan, they had an update in December. The speed of change for this next 10 years till 2030 has to be four times faster than what we've achieved for the last 28 years. So we shouldn't underestimate the scale of the challenge. If we're going to achieve the targets of, they're looking for 75% reduction in, in emissions. But in 10 years' time, I hope we will be well down that road. I hope we will be well down that road. It's a great opportunity. It's really, really exciting. I just feel we're in a great cusp of change. You know, everything is really aligned 
the pandemic, the pandemic, in a sense, has actually had a renewed interest in terms of, of food and food, the importance of food in terms of health and sustainability as well. And that's been a great platform to build on. We just need to get everybody all and we have a unique position in Scotland because relatively been an advantage of being relatively small of all the organisations who are involved in agriculture and the rural sector just working together, you know, just working together, pulling the same direction, we could achieve a lot, you know. And it's a, you know, I just, it's just so exciting. I just think there's great opportunities. But admitting that, I would still say the biggest thing that needs to be done is a sympathetic agricultural policy, really to fast track it. And I really love Scottish government to be much more bolder ambition to encourage change and the drive towards cooperation. There was a great example in Australia called Future Farming Programme. And it's just amazing what it's been done. And it just needs that vision from government policy and resource to make change happen. So... That's my last bit. I really, it's a, it's a plea really to Scottish government. It's a great opportunity. I, I, uh, I've got a foot in both camps in both Scottish agriculture and English uh, agricultural scene. And I do think Jim is, uh, is correct. I think it's far more cohesion in Scotland. Scotland has got the opportunity to probably demonstrate to the, uh, the bigger English market what, uh, what good joined up thinking looks like. And I'm very much hoping the cops in Scotland are, are seen as a bit of a beacon to have, uh, have driven that forward. Uh, I do fear in England it is going to be a, a far more difficult uh, difficult task. It's far more disparate and the uh, cooperative sector is probably not as well joined up as it is in Scotland. So uh, very interested to see how that progresses. And I, I think as far as what, for what we've taken is actually is like, you know, as we're going to take the bull by the horns, excuse the pun. I don't think we can wait for others necessarily and the governments in particular for this to happen take charge of our own destiny is actually is like is what we found is actually is to be the the most successful and and that's what we're going to continue to do but ultimately working together in collaboration as part of a co-op makes things happen so let's make this happen in addition to Mark, Jim and Tim, I should like to thank every contributor who has taken part in this five-part series in association with SAOS. Sadly, I can't name you all again today, but you know who you are and we are very grateful. Thank you. SAOS are Scotland's experts on farmer co-ops and food industry collaboration, and they work with food and farming businesses to make them more profitable, competitive and sustainable. This series, which began back in November 2020 and finishes today, has shown us how collaboration is critical in the fight against climate change. No man, woman or indeed farmer is an island and reaching net zero by 2045 is not something that any of us can manage alone. Of course, much work, much thinking and many positive achievements have already taken place on the road to net zero. However, in order to progress down that road at pace, strong leadership, collaboration throughout supply chains and farmers working together are what's needed to lead the farming sector towards this challenging, but I believe achievable goal. All five of the SAOS episodes are available on both the on-farm feed and on the SAOS website, which for those who don't know is www.saos.coop, which is C-O-O-P. And we are also working on what's known in the industry, the podcasting industry that is, as a supercut of all five episodes to summarise just how critical the role of SAOS is in this challenge. I truly believe that every single one of us in the agri and food sectors has a responsibility to contribute towards net zero. And so my plea to you today is just simply to share this episode and all the others in the series with as many people as you can. You know 
that listening to a podcast is easy and straightforward, but your neighbour or an older relative might think it's complicated. Perhaps you could just show them and get them to listen too. Next week, we've teamed up once again with the Scottish Government and we're hearing some of the amazing community and rural economy success stories that have come about from the Leader Funding Programme. Remember that the On Farm podcast is brought to you by Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. If you need a new brand or logo, a new website, social media management, or indeed advice on any type of communications, we're the people to speak to. So just get in touch for an informal chat. Until next time, take care. <laughs>